Welcome to a brand new episode of Reliability It Matters. Over the past 26 episodes, I've predominantly had a lot of engineers and not a lot of people who have worked on the tools. And that's why I wanted to bring in a unique perspective in that sense. My today's guest has over 30 years of experience working in the Royal Australian Navy and a few more outside of it. He started his career in the Navy as an electronics technician before transitioning into engineering roles. He currently works as a reliability engineer, leveraging his operational and maintenance knowledge to provide value to critical naval assets. Outside of work, he has a very friendly and calm demeanor, and it has been an absolute pleasure working with and learning from him. And that's why I'd like to introduce Mr. Grant Payton to the podcast. How are you doing, Grant? I'm waiting for this guy who's turning up. Calm demeanor. I'm good. I'm good. Um, yes. Now, before we start, everything I say, the, the opinions of me, Graham Payton, based on my experience, not a bit, nothing about I'm currently working on or anything like that. There will Absolutely. be anecdotes is- of what I've been working on, but all these opinions of mine learned by having spanners thrown at me. Absolutely. And that is a very good point that you've just raised. I was going to bring it up as well, that again, these views are entirely our own and not representative of our organizations. But with now with that legal spiel out of the way, the reason I wanted to have you on today's podcast, as I mentioned in the introduction, I've had a lot of engineers, uh, a lot of technical speak. But it's it's not that often that you get to hear a, a maintainer's perspective on how is it that what the engineers do, how does that have an impact on what you do? But before we get into discussing that part of it, now I know that you've spent nearly half of your life working in the Navy. Uh, how was the experience? Oh, look, the Navy's great. I loved it. You know, I'm not going to, and I'm going to say this as a person who's been here for 30 years, I had far more good days than bad days. And some of the stories, you know, I'm going to tell, not today, but, you know, with people, they're going to go, in no way have you possibly done that. You know, sort of, so... Being in the middle of the Indian Ocean, in the middle of a huge storm, trying to find two Englishmen rowing from Perth to Madagascar. And they're, they're, yeah, that's me. I found them on a radar. Um, Nelly, uh, getting getting into an accidental drug war in a Tijuana strip club, yes, you know, that was me. Got, I don't again, I'm just standing next to these exciting things. I'm not actually involved, you know, sort of. <laughs> And uh, being, being, in, being in a submarine the first time, you don't know how many emotions are running through you the very first time a submarine dives, you know. And then you go, and that's just like three stories, you know. I've got 33 years' worth of stuff to talk about. So um, I'm going to say I had a great time. I'm also going to say there was some spectacularly rubbish in poop times. I'm not going to deny that. But on the whole, I would recommend it to anyone Um, and I've seen the transition from Navy being a really hostile thugs game to a place where now if my 20-year-old daughter said, Dad, I want to join the Navy, I would say join the Navy not as a person who was in the Navy but a person who is a father and went, yeah, the Navy is a lot better than what it was, but I say this as a 52-year-old white male who has all the... uh, privileges and entitlements of, you know, of meeting the metrics of, you know, whatever they were chasing for back then. So I don't know what it's like to be a, 
a 20-year-old female in the Navy. I'm owning that as well. But, yes, I think it's okay. All right. That, that is wonderful. Uh, it's really glad that the, your experiences have, I guess, have evolved and you think that the Navy is an amazing place to be. So for anyone who wants to join the Navy and does want to learn a bit more around that, please feel free to reach out to Graham. He'll be more than happy to help you out with the journey on, on how to navigate the process of joining the Navy. But uh, but that's not the, the that's not what we wanted to discuss. So the key reason that I wanted to speak to you was, as I said, it's the maintainer's perspective, even though you have now transitioned into more engineering roles. Now, given our the kind of work that we do, we work primarily around ILS. So for those of you not familiar with ILS, integrated logistics support, that's a very defense specific term, but a holistic view of what ILS is comprised of. It's your FAMIAs, FAMICAs, and RCMs. So we do a lot of RCMs, and from an RCM comes a lot of maintenance tasks. And we do all of this analysis, perhaps with a bunch of stakeholders. We can come up with a maintenance task, which is all well and good. However, quite often we forget the execution part of it. And which is where, whenever we've been in a workshop together, we might have come up with a maintenance task to do inspection of a component or whatever that task might be. But you may ha you have come up with and said, hang on a second, have you considered this? Or have you considered that part of it? So I wanted to understand, how important is it to have a maintainers or have your maintainers involved in the process of uh, creating a maintenance strategy for any asset? It could not necessarily the defense force. It could be mining. It could be uh, any other facility. How important is it? Look, I, I'll, I'm obviously going to speak a lot from the, the defense force point of view. The maintainers point of view is essential because uh, the number of times you know, the new scheme plan system has been thrust upon high. This is the way we're going to go and do business. And you haven't taken that maintainer on the journey with you. You're initially going to have resistance because you haven't sold. We're not as maintainers, we're not deliberately saying no. We're just saying why. So if you want me to change my business of doing something, you know, it has to make sense to me and, um, whether, you know, you want to do vibration analysis more often or you want to start vibration analysis or you want to take away vibration analysis, me, the guy who has to fix the box, I'm going to go, why are you doing this? Because you're either going to create more work for me for no, without justifying it or you're going to create that's doing more extra VA or you're going to create more work for me because when the system fails catastrophically because we don't have VA analysis and we can't do those preemptive things, it's going to take me 40 hours to rebuild whatever it is I am instead of identifying it at the on the journey stage, you know, sort of in using your, your favourite metric, the P to F, at the P phase, then we can start considering what we're going to do. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's very important I feel as well that it's it's important to get the view of the maintainers because at the end of the day, they are the ones who are oh, executing. And that's, and, and that's before we even start getting the activities, the maintenance activities you want me to do. It's like this thing that you are doing is going to take me 14 hours every month. So the box is offline for 14 hours. When of all of those things you want me to do, I only need to do these three. Yep, exactly. You know, sort of, which takes, you know, one hour and their passive checks where what you are doing is, you know, you want me to expect the windings and uh, 
motors of the insulation of the motors every month by taking it offline to do it. It's like if, if it's a three-phase motor, it's going to keep going even if it's got two phases. And we will notice that it is not working to performance without actually doing a thing so we can start administering and getting uh, plans in place without we have a slight loss of performance, but we don't have loss of capability. And we can start yep. managing that in a proactive manner as opposed to taking it off and possibly inducing faults. Uh, in, in our current roles, uh, you've, you've just spoken about the P2F interval. What, during our work, we we're exposed to a lot of facets of reliability engineering. However, while you were in the Navy, uh, or while you were still wearing your uniform, were you given the opportunity to learn about reliability engineering? When, so when you're a chief petty officer, which is like a senior maintenance manager, you have you have to like a one morning lesson on reliability. So that normally happens at the 15, 20 year mark of your maintenance career when, um, you know, the joy of reliability, it doesn't necessarily have to be a technical thing. So mm -hmm. you can do reliability in ILS. So if you know things have a long lead time, you have a reliability plan so that, you know, there is one on the shelf and, you know, in six months you need a second one. So you start planning a place so that, you know, even though you have random failure, your, your chances of having zero on the shelf because a ship has broken two of these things in a short period of time is reduced. So, I mean, yep. they're simple, you know, so reliability is, you know, like engineering, it's everywhere. You can't escape it. You, you can change it, give it a different title, but you know, making sure that you got enough things on the on the either on the shelf or on the way to the shelf is essential, regardless of whether you're the office manager or the football coach or the you know the cricket you know, the cricket groundskeeper. You need all of these things to go. Oh, we've run out of fertilizer. We've been coming four weeks. The test is in two. We've got a problem, rooster. You know, yep. you play that bad, you know. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, uh, now a, a bit of personal question. Now, even though we are still working in the maritime industry, I want to understand how was the transition from from uniform to civilian clothing. I got quite. I got lucky. Um, so my last. So every two years in the navy, you change jobs. So. Uh, four, six years ago, I got a job at Defence Force Recruiting where there was lots of, there was Navy, Army and Air Force and about 60% civilian and I was talking to young men and women every single day. So um, the language I had to use was vastly different to what I was using with my sailors. So I had that good transition. Then my second last job, I was uh, working in the warfighter simulator department. So I was dealing with lots of code monkeys and, you know, software people and civilians to do that. So that was kind of lucky. And then in my sec, my last job, I was working at Defence Science and Technology Group. So I was dealing with a different kind of person because when every second person's a doctor and a professor and, you know, and they, you know, when, when you write the email chain and there's one mister in the group and it's you, you know, it's they're still civilian, but they're a different kind of civilian. So I had that luxury of, you know, having a different social network, professional network as to what the expectations are. So I kind of got lucky that transition between, and the Navy as a whole has been transitioning from 
that F-bomb culture that you've seen all the movies to um, everyone's got arms and legs and you're treated with dignity and respect most of the time unless you're doing something silly and then I'm going to yell at you because I don't want you to lose your fingers. Yep. And it's not because I don't want you to lose your fingers. It's just because I don't want to lose, do the paperwork. Of course, you lost your fingers. It's it's all about self-centeredness, really. <laughs> I know you joke when you say that. Um, <laughs> <Do I? laughs> uh, I love that. So what was, now you said that uh, you, you've had different roles as over your 30 years while working in the Navy. From a, from a maintainer to, to Defense Force recruitment, how... Did you find that change from, I guess, yelling at your machines from not working uh, when they should be to working with probably possible recruits? How did you find that experience? Um, I kind of got lucky. Again, when I was a kid, you know, I was all my family's from the construction industry. So I've been working since I was 10 on job building sites. So, um, and my uncle rarely yelled because, um, you know, the guy who I worked with, and he was always more of a mentoring teacher than a yelling teacher, even back in the 70s and 80s. So if the apprentice did something wrong, it was probably because he wasn't instructed properly. So if your machine isn't working properly, it's, you know, I mean, the, apart from random failure, you know, sort of there is what is it, what is the last thing that we've played with because it's more unlikely a maintenance-induced fault than it's just, you know, once you discount random. So that's that. So there's, you know, if a sailor or a person isn't doing something correctly, it is the first question you've got to ask is, have I given the good given them the good instructions? And then more importantly, do they understand the good instructions? So, you know, it's the same when you're like on a reliability thing, if you're writing a new work instruction or SAP. You get someone outside of your organisation to read the instructions who's familiar enough with the equipment but not overly familiar so they can turn up and read it so they, you know, of course your levels of assumed knowledge might be too high and then it's going to be really frustrating for the, the next person. So, yeah, that that's how I got taught and hopefully that's how I pass it on is, you know, it's probably because I've taught you badly as opposed to you are an idiot. <laughs> I'm sure you must have taught them well. So, so from from maintenance perspective, now you, again, predominant experience being in the in the maritime industry. What were I won't get go and ask you the the other part of this, but what were the positive aspects of maintenance execution in the navy? I guess as opposed to the mining, or or if you've heard of how how it is in the mining industry or any other industry outside of defense. Um, so the, the strength is its weakness. So the defence is a really big bureaucratic organisation. So to get anything done is really hard and slow and cumbersome. Comma, once the processes are in place, they're really hard and slow and cumbersome. So you, they're going to have good processes. They're going to have good logistic support. There's going to be, uh, it's going to be organised. You, you're not going to have, if you follow the instructions, you're not going to get it wrong. And there should be a logistics supply line which matches your needs because the defence uh, consideration is reliability. Uh, reliability isn't the, the correct word. 
uh, being available, availability, where the mining industry, their primary goal is profit. So once you kind of get those two different paradigms in your head, you can understand that the defence has a different uh, maintenance philosophy, you know, where we possibly over-maintain yep. to make sure that we're available all the time. I guess it's more about capability as opposed to, as you said, as you rightly said, availability, whereas in the mining sector, for every hour of lost production, you're losing a lot of money, whereas for every, there's not so much the cost aspect in, in, in the Navy or any of the defense forces. It's more of the capability that you're losing for that hour. Yeah. And, and that is something that we cannot afford to lose. I think, and that's where uh, some of the maintenance can seem excessive. Yes. But I guess... Uh, there is a method to the madness and there's a reason why uh, excessive um, maintenance, the, the point that you raised that there's excessive bureaucracy or red tape around how every single thing has a long process. But, but do you think that is more because of the kind of systems that we, or we work on, that is that is that the change management process is so strict that yeah, it's, nothing can I, flip through the fingers? Yeah, they're deliberately being risk adverse because you don't want to make a, you know, what seems to be as the maintainer a very flippant change. Yep. You know, sort of that could have secondary consequences, you know, that we're not thinking of. Um, yeah, so I, you know, as the tradesman, you put in your request to change processes or whatever and then you don't hear back, you know, sort of, and then all of a sudden you get this other change from nowhere. Like, what, what's that about? It kind of contradicted what the thing I just wrote two months about, you know, like, you know. So, yeah, so I assume there's uh, people, processes and places, but sometimes at the tools, like I was saying before, if you don't bring me on the journey, I go, what's all this about? And I get frustrated. And I think that is a very, very good point. That is, you have to bring everyone who's involved or who might be impacted because of the change. You have to bring them along the journey because once you have their buy-in, the implementation of whatever change that you're probably proposing will become a whole lot smoother and easier and it will be readily accepted by everyone. And then if you have the maintainers on your side, you can, they can sort of become your champion. Um, yes. For and, that recommendation. I mean, and you know, like RCM, they're the resource consuming monster. You got to sell it to the uh, accounts. I know it's going to cost me more money today, but you will save lots of money in the end. You know, no, we don't have, we don't have the money to spend today. I'm saving you more money in the end. <laughs> so, I mean, you you got to do the up and down and left and right of everyone you're trying to bring on the journey. Now, I ask this question a lot. They ask me, what do you do? And I say reliability engineer. And people sort of give me a funny look when I say this. I'm wondering, what do you say when people ask you, what do you do for a living? And if, if you were to answer this as the same way as I do, that I... I work as a reliability engineer, and they give you that funny look. What do you say after that? You know, well, I say, uh, imagine you've got a car and you've got four tyres on your car. And they go, yep. And we go, and every three months you get told to rotate your tyres on your car. And they go, yep. And I go, well, imagine that your car is actually your nan's car and it goes to the shopping centre to buy a coffee and then comes home every day. So does it make sense that you rotate your tyres every four months because... It's a, every three months because it's doing, you know, a thousand kilometres a month. And your brother's car is a ute on a farm. Sort of, 
does it make sense that you use the same car tyres? So I kind of use that analogy of, you know, your Nana's car, your car and your brother's car. They're all cars. They've all got tyres. They've all got exactly the same things. But the expectations of the tyres are completely different. And reliability is to find the best tyre versus maintenance to get the best bang for buck for Nana, your brother and yourself. That is a very good example. I might I might steal that if, if it's okay with you. Sure. So in while working in the Navy, now you don't have to say anything specific because as we all are already mentioned, um, all views expressed are our own. What were some of the, uh, I guess, negative moments? Because there's all this, you can't just have positive moments. There'll be negative aspects to it as well. What were some of those negative times when you thought, oh shit, what have I gotten myself into? Oh, look, um, <laughs> oh, you know, it was that time with the Chinese fighter. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, some of the times where I really got frustrated was when uh, a person higher up or of hierarchy had a different goal to what us as the maintainers were trying to achieve. So um, the example was we had to give four weeks, we always had to do our four week, oh, one week, one month maintenance plan. So I had to tell you one month what the big maintenance tasks were so you could plan when the equipment was going to be down for several hours. Fair enough. Yep. You know, so, but I plan to do my stuff and I need the, I need sunlight to do it. I need calm seas and I, you know, whatever the criteria are. So I give myself a three day window to do these things. Um, that's all well and good, except for someone said, oh, actually, we're going to shoot the gun that day. We're going to have a fire exercise the other day and we're doing helicopter landing the third day. So the consequence of that is that I don't get my maintenance done and then I get a free game of kicky bum. Why haven't you done your maintenance? It's like, is this a trick question? You've just put, you've taken my three windows away from me, sort of. This is a you problem, not a me problem. And, and then the consequence of that is maintenance is late. Yeah. So then, you know, sort of why, you know, that leads to, you know, a rigmarole as to why is the maintenance late and writing the paperwork and the hazard risk assessment for, you know, sort of if you'd have known this four weeks ago, I would have picked different days or, you know, you know, the obligation for me to present what's going on four weeks in the future and you to present what's going on four minutes into the future. Uh, has led to some robust conversations, um, you know, or just people not being aware where, you know, you get radiated. Thanks. You're the best. Just just cook me up with that radar. You're the best, mate. Or uh, you're standing in a compartment doing a, a confined space or whatever, doing your thing, and someone drops a crack and big loud noise on top of your head and you come out sweaty and cranky and surly and, you know, spread blood all over the bridges and murdered another officer to watch. Um, you know? So, yeah, it's that there is no consequence downhill. As when you're the tradesman trying to do your job, there is, um, you know, I'm an inconvenience to you, but you can do whatever you like to me. So, uh, I, I hope people do uh, see the sarcasm in this. There is no proof that there was a body on the bridge, okay? There was a lot of bleach, some limes. <laughs> There's a, cut him up, fed him to the sharks. He was just drunk and didn't come home. That's all we know. I'm sure you're just joking. Um, I hope so. Um, <laughs> but anyway, to wrap this conversation up, Graham, um, do you have any final thoughts for, I guess, 
for the maintainers that we have or that are coming up or who want to join the Navy or for any new recruits who do want to join the Navy? Do you have any final um, words? So I got, these are my kind of two personal things. It's like one up, one down, one left, one right. So is the thing that you're attempting to analyse, is there something smaller which is causing you mischief for your piece of equipment or what you're trying to do? That's the one down, one up is, is there something bigger causing, you know, is the greater system causing mischief to your system? Uh, the one left is the thing that you're trying to do, it could just be a dog and it doesn't matter how many times you've replaced everything. It could be possessed and it just keeps falling over regardless of how many experts you get in, it still keeps falling over. And to the one to the right is sometimes the best solution isn't actually a reliability a solution. It might be an engineering solution. So um, consi don't consider that because your job is uh, as a reliability engineer is to keep it, increase the usage and decrease the downtime. So if you make sure that the put things, engineering structures in place or administrative structures in place so that the system can work to its best, then there's that. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, I kind of got this cricket mentality is that um, you think your engineering plan is like a cricket game. Now, is it a 2020 cricket game, a one-day cricket game, a test match cricket game? So you've got to think differently. Are you playing in a small – are you playing a test match in a small field in India or are you playing at the MCG? So you have – the things that you are considering important. So uh, Akshay loves the, the P2F. I'm saying it is a tool. I'm a kind of an MBT kind of guy just because it gives me a fat number to get going. Then uh, P2F is a subset of that. I agree that it's important, but I don't use it as my singular tool. So, so they're the things, you know, like whatever you're doing, are you using, go back to the first questions, what is it I'm attempting to achieve? What are we asking of this system and what is this system capable of doing? Because if you've got a massive cross-thread on those three, it doesn't matter how good you are, your reliability is not going to be successful as it could be. Thank you so much, Graham. No I hope uh, uh, the, the new recruits or people who are looking to join the Navy do get inspired from your one, yes. one, up, one up, one down, one left, one right approach and that gives them a new perspective yes. to think about things. Not a problem. It has right, been, my friend. It has been amazing having having this discussion with you. And I look forward to speaking with sure. you once again. Thank you so much, Dr. Not GP. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Akshay. All right, then. See you next time. Bye. Bye.